Welcome, everybody. It's what we do every Friday. We always look forward to getting in the cage here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. And if you're an MMA fan, you know who our next guest is. He's one of the best in the business covering the sport. Been covering it for a very long time. Very long time, so he knows a thing or two about it. We're talking about the one, the only, Josh Gross here with us. Josh, how are you, man? I'm great. How are you, Bob? I, I'm doing great. I always appreciate you taking a few minutes with us and, and, and discussing the latest and greatest in the sport of MMA. And and uh, as I said, you've been covering this since, I believe, 2000, before people even even knew it existed, I think, in a lot of cases. And, and before we get into what's happening today, you, you sent out a tweet that, that caught my eye today. And you don't have to go into great detail, but I just wanted to read this for the for the fans and listeners out there, and you can expand on it however you'd wish. But it says, I've had a difficult time securing regular work in MMA since leaving ESPN at the end of 2013. Wish it wasn't so, but I'm swimming against a strong current. Freelance gigs, podcast books keep me in the game. I 100% want to cover MMA more, and I'm looking for opportunities. Now, you know, somebody of your your name, people know who you are if you're a fan of the sport. As I said, you've been covering it since 2000. That doesn't add up, right? It seems like you, that's what the sport needs. There's so many new fans coming in, and you need somebody who can sort of guide them and say, hey, you know, this is where things started versus what you're seeing now and everything that took place in between. So for the listeners that aren't familiar with the story, if you give them just a brief overview of that. Um, sure. Thanks for that. Uh, I was actually responding to a, a tweet that someone had sent me um, and sort of responding in a change of the a discussion about, like, media and what MMA media can bring. And I just decided to share that in that particular moment. The person who responded to me was very complimentary and um, wondered why I wasn't working more than I was. But, yeah, I mean, the, the truth of it is that uh, the UFC has refused to um, not only credential me, but it's sort of been persona non grata um, since end of 2005. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard thing for a reporter. who Like, I was very, very close in terms of beat access. I was traveling all over the world with the UFC during the early days. Um, and you know, they decided they didn't want me around anymore it, it's it's a long story um i would suggest that people are really interested um it's it's on google people can sort of get the details for themselves but the the, the fact is that in 2005 the ufc threw out all of the mma media this was after like the first season of ultimate fighter and um i uh was among that group and we tried to come together and and you know express our concern and and rally for it but at the time really not many people were paying attention um to the media space what was going on so we didn't gain a lot of traction most of the people who were thrown out uh eventually got access back some lost it again some got it again kind of topsy-turvy with the ufc but i never did um they they tried to hire me a couple weeks after they did the ban and, and i wasn't interested in working for them for several reasons um and i was told at the time that it was uh you know, it was it was going to be a mistake, but I, I didn't, you know, you, you, it's like, oh, when they'll wake up in a cold shell, like, oh, I should have taken that job, <laughs> as opposed to, hey, we're going to try try to do everything we can to ruin your career, and it's been more than access. I mean, quite honestly, they've they've worked against me, tried to get me fired in places, so it's a Dana White issue, really, uh, although Lorenzo Fertitta at the time was certainly involved and aware, and so, unfortunately, how the UFC, I think, has a, um, uh, it's, well, I'll say a, a scattered history, and I'm being very kind of how they treat the media. I don't think it's a thing a lot of people like to hear about, but uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you know any of my history. I mean, it just sort of goes on the face of that, for sure, unfortunately. Yeah, and by the way, again, if you're an MMA fan, you you probably already are following him on Twitter, but if you're not, 
Now you, I, I've asked you about this before. How Yayi Yayi is it? Yayi. It's like say, say like J D my initials, but kind of like slur it a little bit. Yayi. <laughs> okay. Like maybe maybe you, maybe you had a few much few too many to drink. That's okay. All. So it's it's at y a y underscore y e e is where you can find Josh on Twitter. So there you go. There's that, and you you can read up on everything that he's covering, and as I said, doing a great job of it. Hey, you, you, there was another tweet I wanted to ask you about because it, it falls right into questions that I've been getting uh, about the UFC's move to ESPN Plus and 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 how that. And your 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 response to a tweet that you saw was the UFC's move away from the traditional pay per view model represents a sea change and will impact the MMA space for some time to come. All eyes on McGregor now. If you can expand on that and just give me a quick thought on if if you like it because I. My answer has been, you know what? I don't really know if I like it or not. What I don't like is that it's just not a channel I can hit on my remote and boom, I'm on ESPN Plus the way I could Fox or pay-per-view or what what have you. Uh, it's a little more cumbersome in my opinion. But tell me what you meant by your response on that tweet and whether you like the move or not. Sure. That was a response to uh, the report that Brock Lesnar was not going to be coming to the UFC to fight Daniel Cormier. And uh, some of the reporting, I think Dave Meltzer um said that he was under the impression that because of the change in the way that UFC does pay-per-view, that um, uh, the, the splits with the fighters are different. So Lesnar was asking for a larger sum up top, and the UFC wasn't willing to do that. So I, I do think that there's going to be some give and take between the fighters um, and, the, and the UFC and ESPN, which is now like integrally involved in the UFC's pay-per-view business. So um, that, that's what I meant by that. I, obviously, Conor McGregor has alluded to this sort of thing. If you follow him on Twitter and the media, uh, he's being pretty coy about it, but he's definitely talking about this exactly because the, the way that uh, pay-per-view is structured and, and how uh, he was paid off of pay-per-view has changed. And so he's saying that, you know, we have to have a talk about that change. And I'm, I'm sure the UFC will, will deal with that. Uh, for Lesnar, it just didn't come together. But I, I don't think it's going to be the only time where we see impact because of this. Do you, as a consumer, do you like it better? Do you like it? As I said, I don't, I don't like having to mess with apps and, and all of that. It's not as, it's not as yeah. user friendly in my opinion, as it was before. As I said, you could just flip to the channel and boom, it's there on your TV. What, what do you think of it? Yeah. Um, I'm a cord cutter. So it's kind of like, um, I'm all right with it. It's up my alley. I have all the apps, ESPN plus the, the zone, um, you, you name them, uh, fight pass. So, uh, even that said, with the one experience that they've done on the pay-per-view, I thought it was choppy, uh, even as, as plugged in as I am. I mean, if you were someone that had to go to your laptop and type in a website, and it, I mean, it felt like it was 1997, yeah. you know? Uh, and so the, the, the streamline has to, has to be uh, uh, worked, and I, I'm sure ESPN gathered a lot of information about that, uh, and it is going to help the process. They should, because a, a lot of the... Fans uh, who I heard from were disappointed and, and, and felt like the experience uh, w- wasn't what they would have wanted, and it's confusing for them, and it's more and more difficult to put up a paywall in front of the pay-per-views. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's going to be some learning curve on it, but I, I, think, uh, I think in the end they'll, they'll probably get it as close to right as they can. Hey, let's talk about Brock Lesnar for a second, and he, he's he's obviously a very polarizing figure in the sport of MMA. There are people that love him; they love it, they they're intrigued by him. I don't know if I'm considered a purist or not. I didn't love that he was automatically almost he was almost automatically in line for a title shot. 
when he had been away forever, he had been suspended because he was obviously using performance-enhancing drugs, and boom, there he is, ready to jump right back into the cage for a title shot at Daniel Cormier. I, I understand the business side. I get that that would be a huge pay-per-view and would make money. I was kind of relieved that he's that he's that Dana says he's retiring, that he's not going to fight. What was your response to that? Yeah, 100% with you. Um, I thought it was a fight that we didn't need to see because they had a great heavyweight fight that made all the sense from a sports context right in front of them. You know, Stipe Miocic should get a rematch against Daniel Cormier. And, um, you know, we're, we're glad. I'm glad to be getting that now. It sounds like you are, too. Um, for me, you know, it's like you feel for Daniel Cormier's bank account, but then I can move past that pretty quickly and realize, hey, we got a great fight. And if it is his last fight, you know, it, it's a chance for him to go out maybe as the best of all time, except for the two fights to John Jones. Daniel Cormier could be the best fighter of all time if he handles Stipe Miocic again. And that's intriguing to me. I'm, I'm interested in that. And it's the best heavyweight fight that we can make now in mixed martial arts. And that's what the UFC is supposed to be about, making the best fights. Sometimes it gets trends too much to the entertainment part of it. And Lesnar was 100% at the forefront of that movement. And, you know, I think maybe – Maybe now it's we've seen the last of him, although I, I can't say that for sure. But um, it's uh, I, I'm I'm happy to see this fight. You know, I saw a lot of people really laying into Stipe for his his stance on sort of a demand for a rematch. Right? I had all these title defenses. I've been a company guy. I deserve that immediate rematch. And just sort of hanging out waiting. And I saw you know fans kind of little blowback. And now it looks like it's paying off. It, 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 were you in favor of how he was approaching this, or where were you in terms of how he was? handling his career after that loss to Cormier? 100%. Um, that's the fight that had to be made, and he held out, and he, it made sense for him. And it should have made sense for the UFC right away. I, I mean, I you know, you had some of my tweets, I think, pretty early on after their first fight I was calling for a rematch. And then when the Lesnar news came out, I said, no way. It should be, you know, Miocic. So he, uh, he's in a position where he'd made a, a, a good purse a few times, and perhaps he could afford to sit out and also – He's a pretty intelligent athlete, and he can read his body. And if he needed a break, it also made sense. So I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be a really great test. He was the first time, of course. He's a tremendous champion. I think he can beat Daniel Cormier, and um, that's a fight that I'm I'm looking forward to. And, and he played it just the right way. Hey, let me, let me ask you about what took place in in Bellator. I'm assuming, did you get a chance to see the card last weekend with with Rory McDonald and Benson Henderson, everybody on that card? Yeah, of course. What. The Rory McDonald thing was odd. Obviously, his his comments in the cage afterwards. It was it was a interesting performance. Clearly, he wasn't the sharpest we've ever seen him, you know. But him talking about I, I just don't know if I've got that desire to hurt people anymore. And you know, talking about his new faith. He's he's a I don't I don't know if you call him born again, whatever. But he's 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 traveling a different path than he was previously. And when I heard that, I'm like, okay, mentally, he's he's not where he needs to be in this game to compete at the level that he's competing. And there was speculation: is he retiring? Is that what he was saying? And now he's come out and said, no, I'm going to fight Gracie. I'm I'm going to continue. But to me, that's sort of alarming. If I'm a Rory McDonald fan, to hear him speak the way he did after that fight, do you chalk it up to heat of the moment after a tough struggle, or do you chalk it up to a guy who may have lost that edge that was his edge in the cage before? Yeah, well, because he came out with a statement on Tuesday and because he said that he's going to fight Naaman Gracie at Madison Square Garden uh, in June, um, you know, that, that obviously influences how I see it. But at the time, the way that he spoke was uh, pretty uh, unique. I had not, you know, you see fighters expressing regret. You see fighters talking about like they may not have it anymore. But I, the, the way that he spoke about himself was, um, I thought, uh, alarming 
And if anybody who heard that and started questioning, you know, what Roy McDonald was really feeling, because he obviously didn't seem to know, I think was being totally fair. Um, so he seems to have found some clarity on it. Uh, I, I seriously wonder, you know, he, he took a bad beating against um, Gegard Mousasi. He is a changed person. We, we can't forget, you know, these are human beings. And if you go through something like he went through against Robbie Lawler, I mean, that's going to change you in some ways. Uh, and the fact that now he's uh, seems to be like moving forward. He talked about he's changed as a man. His priorities are different. He's much more religious than he than he was. He's trying to balance that um, and his his place in the world. And he's a pretty introspective, complicated guy. Um, but to see him react like he did on Saturday, yeah, it was it was concerning. And I'm not sure how much I believe his statement. Yeah, it was. I, I don't know. It's it's sort of like when you hear Josh, you hear fighters talk about retirement, and you know they they they'll sort of dance around it for a little bit, and then you hear people say the second you you start verbalizing that you're in your mind retired, that you should probably step away from the the fight game if that's where your mind is at. And I almost had that same feeling when I heard him say that because to me, what made him unique and special in the cage is is Joe Rogan used to just you know, lean on this all the time. He's like a serial killer. He was just stoic mm. and he showed no emotion. He was like a, a cyborg out there, you know, and if, if you lose that, that thing that made you special on a lot of levels, that, that feels like he could be setting himself up to take more damage that he otherwise wouldn't need to. And you're right. He took a, a ton of damage against Musasi. Those fights with Lawler could be career changing fights. Maybe we're just seeing the results of those, those, you know, fights where he took a ton of damage. I don't know, but yeah, I just as I heard that, I was like, "Whoa!" I I, I kind of hope he, I kind of hope he retires now that I heard him say that. We'll see. I mean, he's he has to get back at it in six weeks. Naaman Gracie's a tough fight, not a I would say not a danger to Rory in terms of like someone who can unleash a lot of damage striking. But he, you know, he can grapple with Rory, and and he hasn't lost. And he's actually a Gracie to like pay attention to. There's a few of them these days. Um, you know, so that so there's some interest there. I, uh, if he's not right, then this tournament should expose that. I think. I think we'll find out soon. What, what was your take on uh, Benson Henderson? He's a guy I love. Benson. He's from here. Obviously, we've talked to him a million times. Uh, but he's he's no longer the young guy in the sport. Certainly, he's a guy that you know he's he's not stopping fight. He's not putting people away. He's winning. He's he's kind of what his opponent called him before this fight a points fighter. Yet his goal is to is to become a champion. Obviously. Where where do you see him? Does he does he look drastically different to you in terms of what he's able to do these days in the cage? Do you think he's still a guy to be reckoned with as far as a, a legitimate title contender goes? Um, I mean, in Bellator, you know, he he may not be too far away, but I think say worldwide, you know, in terms of lightweight division, you know, maybe he's top twenty five. You know, um, that division is so deep. And so explosive. I mean, he's probably lower than that, honestly. And so I would say, no, he's on the downside of his career. I don't see him as someone who's going to be able to exert himself the way he did uh, over uh, opponents earlier in his career and, you know, reel off wins like that. Um, he's still fun. And when you give him the right kind of matchup, it's a great fight. That fight against Adam Piccolotti was fun to, fun to watch. Lots mm-hmm. of scrambles, lots of good grappling. Um, you know, for, for me, that's some of the best MMA. And so, you know, he can still deliver a good fight for Bellator anytime he shows up. And I think that's where his real value is. Last one before I let you go. And again, we're speaking with Josh Gross here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You can follow him on Twitter at Y-A-Y underscore Y-E-E is where you're going to find him on Twitter. 
Uh, just a quick thought on T.J. Dillashaw, because I, I'm just curious getting d- different opinions from people. First of all, he, he was he didn't have the luxury, I guess, that other fighters have had of saying, hey, I, my, my supplement was tainted. That, that's clearly a realistic uh, option. With EPO, that's you don't have that option. And he had to come out and do what he did, which was saying, hey, I screwed up. I did it. I'm accepting my punishment. What does this do, in, just in your opinion as a, as a journalist and a fan, as far as his legacy, as far as the wins that he came away with over Cody Garbrandt and others, and he was talked about amongst the, the best in the division, the, one of the best pound-for-pound pound out there. How much does it change his legacy, in your opinion, if at all? I think it does a lot. Uh, you, you base it on the way that he won fights, what he was known for. And this is a guy with a ton of pace, never got tired, wore people down, had some massive fifth-round stoppages that really hurt people. Henry Brown probably is not the same since those fights and some other ones. So sure, yeah, it calls into question everything that he's done, and he deserves that. Um, I, I think uh, you know if, if if you're giving him the benefit of the doubt, you just don't really care about competition or if people cheat or you know if there's any kind of drug use in the sport. You just want to see people fight and get beat up, and that's all that really matters. I, for me, there's a lot more to it than that. And uh, once you lose those sort of things, once once what TJ did. You know, if that doesn't matter, then I don't know. I'm, you know, I sort of lost the point of it all. Um, and so, yeah, it matters a lot to me. Well, did we miss, and by we, I mean just the media, MMA fans kind of miss an opportunity to follow up on what Cody Garbrandt said prior to their their fight. Everybody pointed out in the press conference that he brought up EPO and, and, and TJ's connection to it. Now, at the time, it just sounded like smack talk and trying to get under his skin, and it felt like everybody sort of brushed it off. And then you, now in, in light of this, we all look back and go, Wow, he he kind of said it there, and it, it, I don't recall uh, anybody truly following up on it or investigating it. Did did we miss an opportunity there? I think so. Um, you know, it really depends on what Cody would have decided to say follow up to that. Um, there are a lot of people who know a lot of things about how drugs are used in the sport, and if they you know if they wanted to talk up, you know, that would definitely uh, I think uh, shine a lot on a few places that that might change things. Uh, I think it's best for us if we if a fighter's on record with cameras in their face and they make a statement like that, it's probably worth following up on. And I, I, w- I would say that, uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't one that was sort of jumped on and it was just considered a heat of the moment kind of comment. But in the end, you know, it seemed like much more than that. And again, last one on this before I let you go. Do you, you think this is a lot more prevalent than, than we think or than we consider? We all know about USADA and it feels like the UFC is not messing around and there, all this testing is happening and guys are being caught, but, you know, you don't hear about EPO much. It was always TRT and then John Jones with the tainted supplements and other. Uh, this is fairly new in terms of fighters testing dirty for EPO. Do you, you believe it's more prevalent, or do you look at this as this is more of an aberration? Um, no, it happens. We've had a few cases of it. It's not it's not been as widespread, you're right, as like testosterone or anything, but Chael Sonnen was affiliated with EPO. He admitted to using it. Uh, a Dagestani fighter in the UFC, Ali Bogatinov, uh, was caught with EPO. Uh, it happens here and there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was interested to learn uh, that USADA doesn't test for it every single time they uh, run anti-doping protocols on a fighter. And it sounded like Dana White it was as well because he made similar comments. Uh, my understanding is that because of the way EPO works in the body and some of the half-life of it, it doesn't make sense to test. But I would still say maybe, you know, you pay closer attention to that. Um, it is a drug that unquestionably uh, will aid an athlete in a competition like mixed martial arts. 
and there are dangers to it because it will make the blood thicker. And so you have thicker blood pumping through someone's heart, and someone's heart is pretty active in a, in a fight context. You know, you, it's, uh, it's a way to avoid a, a tragedy. Uh, you don't want to increase the odds for that sort of thing. So uh, there's reasons why you don't want this stuff around. He is Josh Gross, one of the best in the business covering the sport of MMA. Again, follow him on Twitter at Y-A-Y underscore Y-E-E is where you're going to find him on Twitter. Josh, we always appreciate you taking a few minutes with us. I love talking about the sport with you and, and look forward to talking to you again really soon. All right, Bob. Happy to do it as always. Thank you very much.